0: oh yes this is the hardcore marketing show i'm casey cheshire your host for this epic journey today's show is sponsored by ringmaster on a mission to launch b2b podcasts that create relationships generate revenue and drive growth ringmasterlive.com bam there it is the magic has begun i am excited Really excited to share with you the guest today. Um, I know him from several different places and quite the thought leader. Wait till you hear the different approaches he takes. Uh, He is an entrepreneur, a PR thought leader, a digital expert, And one of his superpowers is he combines marketing, which we all love, with talent because the people are what power business and the idea of being focused on business growth and the strategies that come with that. In my opinion, that's a killer combination. I can't wait to just extract all the knowledge from him. CMO and co-founder of New Gig Workforce Solutions, Cameron Heffernan. Welcome to the show, sir. Wow. What an
1: introduction. Thank you, Casey. Yeah. Well,
0: you deserve it, man. You've been busy.
1: Awesome. Great to be here. Really excited to you know, talk with you and then just catch up and share the thimble f- full of knowledge that I have with your audience. <laughs> uh, probably a hundred thimbles, right? It's like when they, when
0: okay. they do a prank and they line the floor with a bunch of Dixie cups with water in them, that's, that's, that's your there knowledge all, all across. There's that's no right. way people can escape <laughs> this podcast without getting wet. So definitely, all right, well, I'm going to stop talking and I got to okay. grab this thing. It's heavy and I okay. pass it to you, but I know you work out. So once I, yep. Okay, here it is. Go ahead, grab Thor's hammer. You got it?
1: All right, I'm ready. I got it. There you go.
0: All right, so take Thor's hammer Okay, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus
1: strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all. All right, missed smashing. I love it. So my myth that I want to smash is the concept is that you have to have a big budget to do marketing correctly, right? You've got to have a lot of money. You've got to have a huge team. You've got to have a powerful agency. You've got to have... A uh, big, well-known, famous brand, or if, or if you're a local business, you have to be well-known across town and have multiple locations, and you got to spend a ton of money doing it, and you have to be B2C. It's really impossible to do good marketing successfully if you're B2B. Um, so I, I'm saying BS to that myth. Yeah, you know, I'd like to talk with you through some of the reasons why I feel that. Yeah, tell me about it. All right, so um, you know, breaking that apart a little bit, let's start with only big brands can afford to spend a lot on marketing. Okay. Um, no, not true. Um, and you know why don't I buy that myth? Well, a lot of the things that go into good, successful marketing are just about time, okay. knowing where to look, expertise, knowledge. Now, some of that takes years to develop, experience. But there's almost nothing that you can't find out by researching. In the old days, it was picking up a book, reading magazines listening to the radio and tv getting out there and talking with people right now hell a lot of it's right on google with the exception of maybe brain surgery and piloting an aircraft (laughs) there's very little you can't just uh, you know learn on your own so when i work with my old team i would say we need to be autodidact we need to learn on our own and figure out Uh, i had an interview i think a week ago or two with a millennial we were talking about this very thing and she said um well, I don't know, I don't know uh, HubSpot, but I know Marketo. I think it was the example, something like okay. that. She goes, but I'm a millennial. We're used to this stuff. And we just kind of figure it out on our own. I'm like, yeah. that's really true. And that's good. She had good awareness of that. And I think there's almost nothing we can just learn on our own and figure out. Um, so it just takes a little time and effort and a willingness to, to do that. But I guess from a personal level, it takes a curiosity. Yeah. So whether you're a marketer, a CEO, or even a, you know a really successful salesperson, you have to have that curiosity to think, you know, how does this work? How does their right. business work? How does their business? How does their client's business work? So you're then going two levels down the the chain, let's call it, and, and having that curiosity to look and see how do these things come together. Um, and a lot of you know the myth is to do marketing well, you got to have the best team tools and technologies, you know, expensive software, really thick carpet at your trade show booth, <laughs> you know, and I say BS, you know, it's just, you got to have that padding, right? You got to have that. Padding yeah, that's, so right, that's, right, you, that's right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Two inches thick. People got to sink down to the plush carpeting. So my, my concept is anyone can have, you know, have curiosity. You need to develop that on your team, among your team, give them the tools to do it, give them time it's not yeah. enough to just pay for professional development, and send them to courses, but actually block it, block it in your calendar monthly or weekly so that people have the freedom to disconnect and go take a course or go to Udemy online and learn something. So learn, discover, ask questions. It all just comes from commitment of time to learn those things. Um, yeah, you got to be
0: curious, right? Now, when you mentioned the millennials, I thought, oh, here comes one of those stories about something bad. But then, no, it was the idea that, hey, you know, I, kn- I-, I know this other tool It seems similar. I'm going to go learn this tool. Right. You know, and right. without anyone even have to tell me to do it, I'm just going to go learn. Yep. Tying back to the curiosity you mentioned, because we don't just randomly learn for no reason. And sometimes the reason is there is no reason. It's just curious. I'm just curious. I don't are you, do you work in that field. No, I just was curious what, what makes that thing tick. Mm
1: hmm. Now, as, a, as someone who's, you know, our, our core business is, is staffing and recruiting, our challenge is how do we elicit that out of people in a, in a 20 or 30-minute phone screen? How do we yeah. learn? Do they have that? And that's where you try to, you know, to dig in and get examples from people and give me an example of, of a time where you did that. Or then you kind of probe a little bit deeper. And there's a great book that I love. It's called Who? Uh, that's oh, the, that's yeah. it. You probably know, yeah. So that concept. This is a guy who um, hadn't ever done interviewing or recruiting or staffing. He was, it was, he was, so he didn't know what he was doing. So he kept just asking more questions. He went through the resume. Now that takes a long time to do that, but you refine that and you improve it over time, mm-hmm. and you just keep asking questions. And and you know, how does that business work? And if you feel you're not getting back from them, trust that instinct. Trust that instinct. That's like maybe it's not there, or maybe they haven't refi- refined that skill yet. So it
0: sounds like the best way to find this out and it sounds like this is something we should be looking for when we're hiring and for those in the position of getting hired consider company if the company asks you this they're squared away but have an answer to right. a story where you didn't know how would you phrase that? you don't know something and you learned it or
1: yeah, what's yeah the best give, way? give give us an example of a situation where you were out you're fish out of water it was a new and it could be even from, from their personal life you know they were asked to uh, I don't know. hop on a bike and go grab something. I was never a biker before. I had to le- relearn how to ride a bicycle or um, an example where you were out of your comfort zone. What did you do? How did you handle it? It mm-hmm. could be shifting from not just one job to another, could be shifting from B2C to B2B or industry to industry. How did you handle it? How did you equip yourself? And what you're looking for is people who, again, that, that think like a detective approach, that autodidactic concept well, yeah, I didn't really know um, I, d- I didn't really know SaaS tools and, and cloud services. So I spent a week and I just dived in and I, I just talked to people and I and I researched it on my own and I looked at I go now we can get books instantly. You and I had to go to the library and wait and and it would be shipped to us or maybe that's at the bookstore but now literally you can get a book instantly. Yeah. I mean Netflix used to ship you CDs, yeah. right? That's right. We still that? do. A few people know that they you can still get physical uh media shipped to you from netflix so there's like
0: some there's like one guy in some lonely department <laughs> in <the> right. <laughs> maybe he's uh, making I money do. off
1: of it maybe he's re- you know showing them people and, and yeah
0: <laughs> he's like i used to be the most popular guy here now i only get a few requests a week <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um wow so okay. some more things that smash that yeah myth. yeah yeah these three kind of go hand in hand creativity genuineness and engaging okay so it doesn't really cost you more to be creative. You know, being creative isn't just about having the biggest, best, most expensive billboard at a trade show or paying that money at an airport for those, those turnstile wraparounds that cost so much money. Right. Creativity comes from so many different angles. Um, An example that stuck with me uh, a few years back, I really fell in love with the Sonos brand. I don't know if you have Sonos at home. Are those the
0: like make your own soda?
1: No, it's speakers.
0: Oh, oh, Sonos speakers. Okay.
1: Yeah. So they're they're very high quality speakers. So they started with the audio first. I mean, they compete with Apple Home Speaker products and compete with um, you do the Google speakers, but the they do a great job of you know high quality audio, a nice. really good app and the technology. But I love the marketing. So I don't I do have one. It's not here it's downstairs i have like six of them it's kind of embarrassing but oh, nice what's brilliant about them is the the bigger speakers their format can be either landscape or portrait okay they can they can work in either orientation and when you do it you you set them up you got know, to walk around the room and recalibrate it with with the app oh wow and um what's brilliant about the word sonos first of all it means something in latin originally something on like audio or sound or something but if you look at the word sonos s-o-n-o-s It's spelled the same way if it's written across landscape or top, up and down portrait. It still works because Mm. they're saying our brand will be legible or readable if it's sitting up in your bookshelf, standing up or or lying down on its side. I thought that is really, really clever. A lot of time and thought went into that. Yeah, it doesn't matter which way you turn it. Yeah, you can still read it forward and backward that's up right and down that's wow, right that is really, Isn't that really? and that like that's somebody who knew what they were doing so yeah okay, they probably had to pay some firm they, they're a big company now and they were well backed and funded but there that was an idea that someone had maybe in the shower right? i get get ideas in the shower or driving on a long distance So that so in other words creativity doesn't have to cost a fortune it's just getting out, talking right. to people coming up with things creativity doesn't have to be creative it doesn't have to be graphics doesn't design it can be a concept, a new way of doing something, a new way of, Hey, um, I never thought of inviting this audience to our event. They might get something out of it. I love kind of cross setting up events, people who are from different functions, accountants and marketers together because they come up with different, they're different tribes. They look at things differently and they come up with new ideas and yeah. So, you know, be creative, be engaging and be genuine. I delivered a, a presentation one time, which was no more dull marketing. And, 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 mm. and if people are turned off by what you're doing and it's too inward focused and not pulling people, who's going to sit and listen to that, right? Right. The, right? The competition we have on our phone, uh, everywhere around us is so much right now. So to expect the B2B experience or the experience from nine to five to be different from what it is at home is not a, is not a reasonable expectation. We need to raise our bar and make our content things that people actually want. Why does it get dull? Like Where does the dull come from? I think it's this the notion of I need to get my money's worth and I need to tell you about us. So yeah. you know Gary V. His yeah. first book was Jab 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 Right Hook, right? And that was very deliberate. He's saying the jabs are give, give mm-hmm. something to them, uh, give them a free statistic, give them an offer for a, a free pod, oh, a podcast, and give them, give them something for free. The right hook is. After three gives, you ask for something from them. Maybe it's a page that has gated content. That ratio of three to one, you should be giving and offering more value than you're asking for from your audience. And I think a lot of people, particularly in B2B, smaller businesses where your, your budgets are a bit tight, it's like, we got to let them know what we have. we got to let them know what we've got, why we're different and better. And I think I would say challenge that. Challenge that assumption and give stuff of value. Give content and, and, and offer things people want. A great example is uh, banks. Uh, banks, not all of them do this, but some do a really good job of uh, what's happening with with interest rates right now. it's been changing every hour at the moment, but like, mm-hmm. talk to me about what's going to happen. What's on the horizon. You know, this stuff, I don't want to read a whole page. that's an ad, but if it's thought leadership and really engaging content that I would value, I am going to read it. And I'm going to remember next time, you know, where that came from. Um, so that's creativity, you know, make it engaging. Another one is offer value and give things away, you know, knowledge value to customers and prospects without expecting anything in return. So give stuff away for free and, and volunteer to do things, get your name out there. Uh, I was talking the other day with a friend of mine who says, I try to give as much away away than I can, whenever I can, who cares if it's going to come back to you, maybe in five years, that person refers you, but it's more that you're you're out there. You're talking with people, and they think of you when they think of topic X. Um, an example from my personal life is with today's OTT over-the-top media. It's really changed the whole landscape of how we consume and watch, you know, media. You know, you and me are around the same age, and when, when we were kids, we'd sit down. Saturday morning cartoons, yeah. watch and the, and the, they were great. The, the toys that we could get at the end, you, you watch the cartoon, the, the the cartoons, but you also love watching the ads. I want to get this the, this Mattel set or whatever, the Star Wars figures. Um, now kids don't, you know, p- kids don't watch network TV. You know, they don't. My my son doesn't sit down and, and consume those things. Um, they hate it when ads come. They they swipe them as quickly oh, yeah. as possible. You know, and last year my son said to me, he was nine at the time. He says. He said, um, he was talking about, I think we were watching football and football is one of the few things NFL is on CBS, still on a network, you know, and I rarely ever watch network except for live sports. Mm-hmm. And another ad came on and he goes, Papa, why? He goes, why are commercials even a thing? <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> you know? and it's like, that's really hard to answer. It's hard to put, you know, value on them. So it, it really is. And it, it's funny how sometimes you just, you just
0: look at kids, how they'll just call it like they see it right oh yeah what's yeah. the point of this thing no one's yeah. watching
1: it <laughs> yeah it's boring yeah. you know I don't care about this my younger son's even funnier because he's he, he, he couldn't express himself as well but in a commercial company he just starts yelling out ah you know like get this off get tur- navigate away from this is it you got to skip the ad or wait 30 seconds to go to the next thing on YouTube another example is what I spent lived uh, uh, some time in Europe and in where I was living in Brussels. There's a big ex- expat community and a lot of Americans no there too. And on Sunday nights, I would go and watch, you know, for the time zone difference, I would go watch American football in, a, in a, it's an American sports bar in, in Brussels. And sometimes I'd bring some of my uh, European friends with me just to try mm-hmm. them out and see if they'd like to watch it. Rugby's very close to American football, but it's also huh. so different. Right, and I'm not, Time and again, I would bring a German friend or an Austrian or even a, a Brit, and they'd be like, I just can't get into this. I just and I go. Well, it's great the action, the you know all the 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 the, the pomp and ceremony around it is great. Mm-hmm. He goes, no, it's the it's commercials. You know, soccer is two uh. hours. You're out and you're done. You can schedule things around it, and then you can go right. do, do what you need to do. Football could be three and a half, four hours, or having breaks every thirty seconds, especially at the end. It's just endless. I'm like, that's when you get here. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <yes. laughs> I gave up. Like I'll just go by myself and, and watch it on my own. So it's it's about what you're used to so the point is consider your audience and that's what all of this keeps coming back to you know yeah. um know your audience know know what they really want what they really value and then offer them that if they see the worth of what you're offering they're going to come back and buy how do you get to know your audience that's a great question i think it really depends um and on your business and how you would set it up, but the core, it's asking questions. It is, it doesn't have to be some big elaborate NPS survey or some 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 big you know mail order thing when they fill in their likes and dislikes. It could be as simple as a conversation. Uh, and in our field, we talk about something called voice of the customer. So when I work with or onboard a new client, that's one of the things that we'll include. I want to understand their business end to end. Otherwise, I can't create messaging. I can't understand the audience. I can't do outreach until I understand how their business works. And then I always include a voice of the customer aspect. What would your customers say about you? Why do they keep coming back? Why do they renew? Why do they, whatever it might be. And then you take it to the next level, which is what are the pain points of their customers' customers? So you understand their customer's business, how that works and how does this solution plug in there? So it's really about, you know, facilitating ways to ask questions uh, you know, focus groups, just informally. There was a, a close friend that, that we both have to, together. You talk with, I think on the podcast, and he said he opened a bar and he did a survey for opening a new bar in DC. And I Smart. think, wow, I have never heard of that before. Yeah, it is. And it's like, it doesn't have to be some big elaborate thing. You no, know, 200 yeah. people answering three questions on on Facebook and getting, maybe one of them gets a, a $5 Starbucks gift card. That's yeah. That's value. So ask. You know, and and don't be afraid, you know, to hear the answer. You know,
0: and that's where a lot of his brilliant ideas come from. I mean, he's, he's shared all sorts of things about how he simplified the, even the bar experience. There's not like 9,000 called whiskeys you can get, you know, there's like two. Right. But
1: right. We really really, care about the atmosphere and otherwise we just stay home. It's cheaper. You know, I can pick exactly what I want. and not have to worry about crowds and lines. That's why people are out. So you got to really think about the whole experience.
0: Yeah. Is it, is it, is it the random type of whiskey or is it the fact that you're with your friends and your people? And so Mm -hmm. he just went hard in on atmosphere Mm -hmm. and was like, you know, the alcohol is kind of a bonus. It's not really the the reason you go.
1: If they, if it was, it'd be a different environment, be quiet. You'd have tasting notes. You'd have the ability to talk and (laughs) you know, it'd be more like a lecture. And those are people have a different customer expectation. There's a, I thought of it more since I've had kids. I have two kids, ten and four, and something struck me a while back. We were doing some kid event on the weekend, and the, the whole experience of the value of time and the time scale with kids mm-hmm. is all on its head. So with with adults, grown ups, or you know, young adults, the, the best time to be out and go to a bar or a restaurant or a club is, you know, maybe having in Europe it's even later. But let's say nine and ten, nobody wants to go, go out except for happy hour, maybe go out at, at, you know, seven or eight o'clock at night. There's nobody; right. bars are dead. You go out at you know, 10, 11 midnight packed with children. It's completely opposite. So like try to get, you know, dinner reservation at a family dinner, you know, a family restaurant at six, it's impossible. Like that's their happy. Yeah. That's their, that's their busy time Yeah. And with children's, you know, birthday parties, you know, you try to book it, well, they're going to want to have it right at noon. No grownups eat lunch or, or right at 12 o'clock. But with the kids, that's the, that's the peak time 12 to two for you know, birthday parties, go to the library or the museum or a kid's exhibit at like 230. It's empty because they're all mm-hmm. napping. You know, so it <laughs> makes you think right. about your audience and what do they want, and then, then you think about older people. It's again, you know, try to try to get a a dinner table in Florida at five thirty. You know, that's big <laughs> time for dinner for them. So uh, these are good lessons. These are consumer examples, but they just make us think about how well do I know my market and where does my product fit in there?
0: Doesn't everything just stem from just knowing your knowing your customer? You know, yep. Uh, yep. So many times. Not, not only the dull marketing, but the marketing that's just a complete miss is when we go for our own human biases. I used to be a big offender of this. I used to be the one who thought like, oh, I hate that commercial. So that commercial mm-hmm. must just be bad. Or 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 this is terrible marketing or this or that. Or I know what our customers really want to get. They want to get this kind of an email and this kind of because that's what I want to yeah. get. But I'm not always the customer. Right. I, maybe and, if you're a marketer selling to marketers, you kind of yeah. luck out. Maybe. But if you're selling to it and you're in marketing, it's a different game altogether. It's, you know, it's foosball versus football. It's like totally different realm.
1: Yeah. And that's what I love seeing like with, with on YouTube, for example, my kids watching, I don't know what program it might be. A lot of these are homemade people who became YouTube stars. Now they have stuff on the shelves at Walmart and they've made their own brand just from YouTube videos, but I'll sit and, watch sometimes with them or just walk by and there's a complete misfire the algorithms off or, or something it's like children's programming and then it depends undergarment ads like that doesn't really work and and mm. so how, how that happens i think just just fascinates me um and
0: that does seem like a waste right unless they're going after you in particular
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt yeah i don't know but um I think oh someone old is watching let's get him to the by, yeah. <laughs> But does make you think about it. where's all the money that we spend yeah. or for our clients that's you know yeah going to the wrong place or ending up in the spam filter and how can we really dig in deep and and, and have good meaningful conversations with, with people that they will value.
0: Oh yeah. I mean mm-hmm. I heard there's there's like a measurable number of some billion amount I don't know you know some 20 billion dollars worth of display ads that, you know, never get seen or something mm, like
1: that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's also, when you look at, you know, back to the myth and, and only big brands and big companies can afford it. I also like to look at uh, like a gambling kind of reference. You know, the, the, mm. the smart money looks at the at the hidden values or let's call it money ball. They, they go away from, they look, where's the public money going? Well, let's mm-hmm. go the other way. Cause, the, cause the, there's a value there. Um, you know, everybody likes the Cowboys, but the Eagles are actually now getting six and a half because it would open at five and a half. And that's a pretty good number now. And there's value there. So like as marketers, where are the things that we can sniff out that are value, whether it's, you know, LinkedIn has been growing tremendously, but I still see that as a channel. You know, we do almost all B2B for value. Um, another one is I'm really fascinated by how the, the concept of the QR code has done this and evolved over time. At the, at the very beginning, it was super hot. Everything had a QR code on it. Sometimes it made no sense. And then it really kind of took a dip for a while. And now it's back again and the people are using it. And COVID was a big driver for that too. Every menu in the world was was on a you know, QR code. And now it's, it's unusual to maybe less usual to hold a physical menu again. Um, there's uh, here in Ohio, my, my wife works at Ohio State and they had this commitment to go completely digital. So hmm. if you go to any of their facilities or a medical ah. center, they won't give you a reminder card. They won't give you a pamphlet for your treatments. It's all I just think if we if if we do that more and more with younger generations, that's going to be the new normal. We'll, we'll we'll have a lot less paper waste, a lot less kind of just clutter. And it's a you know a positive thing for everybody.
0: It it all kind of comes back full circle, right? It the better knowing the customer. Mm-hmm. more efficient use of the different tactics, the different, you know, platforms, whatever the case may be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the measurement out the back end, just to make sure you know what you're talking about. Yeah. But then that re informs back to the customer side. It's, it's that repeating loop.
1: Right. I mean, that's like really what we do in the marketing side is, it is simple. You know, what we do has three components to it. Uh, your, your, your audience, what you're going to say to them and how you are going to say it to them? So the right message to the right people at the right time. Let's just simplify it to that. And then the measurement I think underlies all of that. And that's how we'll know, is this working or not? You know, did, did this get traction? What are the metrics or what are the, what are the levers we have in place to measure these things? If you don't have it, I would say, hold off, hold off till you're ready to get those things in place. And then you Mm. can know, did this, did this work or not? Another one is thinking about, you know, talking about hidden value, be true to yourself, to your company, your brand. If you're not active on social media, don't feel the need to be there just to be there. I mean, if you're getting right. great value at the trade shows and you're getting meetings, keep keep going to trade shows. Do more of them. Look at other trade shows that are coming up in your space, or work with you know an association that's really active in your space and put your money there. You know what's what's showing fruit, and and and, and keep working through that. Yeah,
0: yeah, love that, man. A couple other questions. I want to shift a little bit. Uh- mm-hmm events are we getting back out to events i think we're finally coming out of that covid tunnel Mm -hmm. are there events coming up any events you're excited about in particular or what's your take on our events staying virtual are we going back after it the event industry is such a a big you know thing especially for the networking the recruiting
1: to everything yeah
0: Yeah. is they coming back i do
1: think so i think they're coming back i think you know if we'd had this conversation two months ago it'd be even more uncertain answer with omicron still really ravaging but i think that's improving. I think that's that's changed. I think that um also people, this is now two years of this pandemic and and more people are vaccinated and more people are looking at it as like more like the flu, something you know, learn to live with and work around and just you know, you know, adapt to. So I am seeing more events i think the last two years some of my clients are in manufacturing that was tough because they're much more personal physical events they wouldn't do right. a hybrid they just cancel so we had to you know some of my clients we had to pivot do more digital get more creative about the things that we we're doing and one of them one of my clients this year is a first year back for some of their biggest shows what we did last year with that particular client it worked fantastic was the event was going to be in uh may okay it's going to be in milwaukee and they canceled it and they canceled with enough notice that we knew it was not going to happen. So we said, well, the need is there. The interest is there. And it was canceled in 2020. Why don't we do our own thing? Mm-hmm. So we did a webinar on that same topic. We partnered with an industry publication that had a good uh, reach, did a co-partner webinar. They got great attendance. They got great um, interest and, and uh, you know actual conversion from that. And now we're repeating it again. We're going to just do it right before the, the event's coming back in real life. But we're going to do the webinar just before it as a kind of teaser to that. So I do think they're coming back. I think people are looking at you know how does it fit into our overall you know scope of things. I also think some companies are stepping back and being like, we did okay in the last two years without events, so let's you know events are expensive, not just the price so tag, crazy man, right? yeah, you know, and the time out, of the, the the opportunity cost, the whole staff being out of the office for a week, the time to prep, follow up, so. You getting that ROI, and and I think that's really changing. The, the last year, for another client, we actually went to an event, and it was probably too soon. And it was in um, Orlando, and it was just sad. It was at the convention center, and there was supposed to be there was two events happening simultaneously. They were both really dead. You ever go to an event and there's like more exhibitors than attendees? yeah you know it's like it it's was, like a
0: it's like a midwest ghost town yeah. you know the little tumbleweed goes by <laughs> yes, exactly and, and all the vendors are like shopkeepers you know, <laughs> know.
1: Yeah. waiting for the next cowboy or cowgirl the yeah. ride the
0: horse on in the town They're and,
1: throwing a football across the aisle to the to other other exhibitors yeah it was just depressing tumbleweeds the uh only place open was fedex like you couldn't even get food And it was just like, like, you guys probably shouldn't have had this event and they wanted to get going again. It was just crickets. Um, So yeah, it just, I guess, I guess the the event landscape is just ever changing. And I think companies that do events, they're also, you know, thinking about how are we going to handle this and be more hybrid, do more little small micro events that are more local to, to, to get around those big trade show expenses.
0: And you think of how inefficient they can be, right? Sometimes I get on like a high horse and I, I had, I had a friend ask me about theoretically, how would, how would you meet CIOs? He was taking on sales for a, like a startup. Mm -hmm. I just thought, huh, old school method. I'm going to have to, you're going to have to spend, you know, Mm -hmm. we're going to have to spend a whole bunch of money to get, do all this trade show stuff. And then Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to take years to maybe get in front of the right people Mm -hmm. or some of these new, more modern approaches like podcasting or any of these other things where we might be able to have conversations, you know, in a week. It's crazy. Mm
1: -hmm. Or, you know, again, like things come back around, picking up the phone and calling. That just seems so so out of, I know it's hard now with, yeah, who's in the office, who isn't. And I I get so few calls anymore that are actual human beings, aren't spam or robots or whatever, but you know, I think also just in general with with marketing is there's no silver bullet answer. So let's try yeah. out some things. Let's try out for a pilot for two or three months and, and see how it goes and track yeah. that data and see what's working.
0: Yeah. You know, like testing things. I think sometimes we we want it needs to be so sure that it's going to work that mm-hmm. we can't test it. But yeah, testing is where we all started in the first place.
1: Yeah. What about books?
0: What about books? Anything you've been reading lately? Or even podcasts, books, or pod- that you've been yeah. just sort of
1: like really getting think. some value from. Since I had kids, my reading level has really dropped. It's been awful, but I, I, I think I generally get up in the morning and I scan headlines and I look through. I do love. Well, here it is, right here. I love Ink. Uh, I get both the physical magazine oh, cool. and and the the uh, um, newsletters. You can scan through them really quickly podcasts I value um how I built this definitely yeah, is that's a big one. one I think probably a lot of your um guests would say that and I love it when because they're long form like this I used to love going running and listening to it or, or yeah. something where I can really just unwind and your mind just can drift and it's I maybe mean, you don't retain all of it. just if you get one or two ideas that you can implement <clears throat> I found that uh to be great and I I think they're do, they're expanding it. They're doing, they're doing more live events and those are coming back with that series. It's it's great. And I think it's um they also have a component at the end, how you built that. And they'll an in interviewer we'll talk with a local small business. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the main ones are all household name people that you that you know, but right. they'll do really small businesses and how they've grown and somewhat you know more of a social mission in mind. And I love it.
0: There's something about that, that kind of a podcast too, where right you 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 can let your mind wander and you can just sort of be in the moment if you have to look at the traffic sign because you're running or Mm. you're driving to work or whatnot and you lose focus for a second that's okay whereas with like a an audible book sometimes Mm. if you if you zone out for a second on one of these like more dense books I just have found myself being like, wait, where are we again? Yeah, yeah, I got to go back. And where I didn't follow the pattern, what's going on? Whereas with the podcast, it's almost like you're in the room with the two people or whoever's talking, and you just kind of can just zone out. And at some point, something cool happens, and you're like, I got to remember that.
1: Right, it feels personal, and I, I, I'll do that too. Where I'll be, I'll be running, and I'm listening to one, and I look, and I realize, I, I. I get, I got to thinking about stuff and I missed the last two minutes and I go hit the back 30 seconds button four times and I catch up. It's great, but it's like, I feel that another one is driving like that. If you're on a drive by yourself or if the kids are sleeping or something, pop in the headphones Mm -hmm. safely, of course, and, and just check out some stuff. And, and maybe you have one or two ideas at the end of it that, you know, you can do something with. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, my
0: next question really is who are you? Who are you? we Have known each other for a bit, but like take me back in time, like little cam days. Did you always (laughs) know you're going to be an entrepreneur and a marketer and, and on podcasts and teaching everyone all these things?
1: (laughs) No, definitely not. I I guess my first entrepreneurial experience would have been uh, maybe middle school. I mean, I always worked. And I remember middle school, I was in, we were living in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. And, um, in middle school, I got into, sounds crazy to say it now, but I would go big, buy big bags of candy. So I'd buy a bag of Jolly Ranchers. Jolly Ranchers are very popular, all the multiple flavors. And I would sell them to people. Maybe it was five cents, maybe it was 10 cents at a time. And, you know, between, between periods. And now you buy a bag of candy, maybe it's two bucks, but you sell them that way, one at a time, you make a little profit. So I was doing that. Um, when I got to be a little older and bigger, I started mowing lawns. So I had a lawn mowing service and a buddy of mine, he did the same thing. He had a lawn mowing service, you know, Maryland in the, in the eighties was hot. Not as bad as it is now because of global warming. It's a hot and humid place. And that was a hard day's work. And I would mow, you know, anywhere from one, to three lawns in a day, uh, spring and summer. Sometimes I'd add a, a pool, clean somebody's pool. I'd add that to the mix um as soon as i could i got a job at the pool so i was working at the local community pool until i realized i wasn't old enough yet so they let me go <laughs> oh geez yeah like hustled your way in and they're basically, like basically oh, oh yeah. you can't do this sorry like some of those guys who volunteered for the army and lied about their age but i just didn't know and then i guess so i always had jobs i always yeah. was working and i just felt sort of normal and natural to me i want to you know build that with my kids too they're too young at the moment but i think it's a great you know, to have that concept of responsibility and totally. showing up and, and, and understanding how money works. And these days, cash is like, my kids never touched cash. they I gave my kid, I think it was, it was a 20 or a 50, and he was treating it like it was a dollar, you know, because he yeah. just doesn't touch money. He has no idea of it. And um, yeah, so I think my first job after that may have been, I often worked in restaurants as, you know, a sandwich shop or whatever it was. When I got a little bit older, I was then doing you know, waitering and bartending, and I think that's a great uh, experience for a young person to have because you get to so many so many different facets of humanity to to deal with. You know, people who aren't happy, people who are overserved, your boss, busy, stressful situation, and you know, handling cash responsibility. It's a great thing to to learn at a young age, um, and I think actually in college I've even had maybe three jobs. I I, I did a, a work study job at one of the, one of the college buildings I did. Uh, I used to deliver pizza and chicken wings on campus at Syracuse and maybe a third job. So I was always hustling, doing something.
0: Yeah. You know, like, I think we, a lot of entrepreneurs share that candy experience There's something about, <laughs> you know, some people, some people kids see candy and they go yum and they mm-hmm. ate it and it's gone. Mm-hmm. There's something else in the it's, it doesn't even fit the category of say delayed gratification, which is the people we wish we were, which is like, I know, I'll just I'll just not eat this now and I'll it's another kind. It's like, I know I could sell this now, and then so it's kind of delayed gratification, but it's like I'm gonna sell this now and then I'll have more candy. <laughs> right, <that's> yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it got really bad that one summer I was mowing so many lawns and it was just really hot. And this was do you remember Jolt Cola? Yes, probably early, mid eighties. And I, again, you'd mow two or three lawns and making all this cash. And I was young and I had so much cash that I would just go spend it on stuff, jolt cola and candy. And you just get wired. And jolt was, I think the saying was something like all the sugar and twice the caffeine. And at one point my parents you know, clued onto it. like This probably isn't the most healthy lifestyle. and So they, they cut me off with the jolt. But I remember I would get cash for these jobs and I would just leave it. I'd come home tired, sweaty. And I'd just leave it lying in my shorts or lying around the house. My dad made a rule. He said, from now on, if I find money around the house, I'm just going to take it and keep it. So, <laughs> so I took a Folgers coffee can and I would stuff cash in there. And that was my bank basically. And it was just yep. overflowing with money and all kinds of nasty condition. But that was my uh, That was my solution for that.
0: (laughs) You know, it's funny thinking about like, you know, where, where you kept the money and whatnot. And, and I had a similar experience where I was uh, doing magic shows for like kids, birthday parties and whatnot. And, Uh and for some reason, it wasn't enough just to do the parties. I like, I created a little binder where I had a piece of paper. I filled out every time I did a party and I was like, you know, how many people were there? Uh, Which magic tricks did I do? And did I do any magic tricks that had a, like a, a cost, so like you could pull streamers out of your mouth, but that that would cost your cogs, you.
1: killing your cogs.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely your cogs, right? And so yeah. I'd fill out this little thing and then I'd stamp it paid when
1: they paid. What am I doing? I don't know. Right. I guess
0: modern day QuickBooks. You know? <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. QuickBooks on paper. And yeah, you think about those things and then you look back now and it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. It was there from the beginning. The funniest job that I ever had was. And I often bring this up. You know, like you have an icebreaker or something. You'll say, "What's the weirdest yeah. job you've ever had?" And I bring this up, and it often gets like uh, laughs and funny looks. Was in college, my first, my first summer between, uh, you know, between freshman year and sophomore year, I came back down to Maryland. I worked construction as a laborer. It was really hard, nasty work. Second summer, I came back to Maryland, and I said, "I want to. I like the money from that, but oh, I don't want to do the hard work again. I like to do a job where I just." I'm a driver that would be kind of nice just to sit in the car and drive around yeah. so this I responded to an ad in the Washington Post for drivers wanted and I showed up there actually it was this like elaborate uh door-to-door selling scheme oh where they geez. were yeah well they were selling uh meat like a box of meat and you'd go around door to door I actually did it I lasted the rest of the summer there was another guy from Syracuse who I stumbled upon and we were like partners uh, in, in this little business and you'd show up and and you'd it's such a weird thing but this is like I don't know late 80s or something one good thing to look for is sign of a family because often it's the mother who's home during the day and is there with nothing to do so you look for things like a tricycle in the front yard or swing set interesting you'd show up and say and I would put on a little fake kind of more southern accent so I seem even more like endearing excuse me man but uh, by chance do you folks like to eat steak and it's just such a weird question for somebody to, to come knock at your door. People don't do it anymore. It's, you know, it doesn't happen, but to come to your door yeah. and ask that question, like, I want to talk to this person. Cause what a weird pitch that is. Yeah. <laughs> totally weird pitch. <laughs> Nowadays we were like
0: the hell you just bother me for? Just,
1: <laughs> I well, I know. I think it's, you have a ring. No one answers the door anymore. Yeah. And so few people even try it. So again, maybe hidden value. Maybe that's the answer back to door to door. Yeah. Yeah. You, you never know, right? It's, it's
0: it you Like you're saying, recycle the techniques. You never know. We right. go back to, I mean, print mail is kind of neat now, now that you don't get a lot of it. Yep. Getting a letter yep. in the mail. Still yep. very cool. Yeah. Uh, I think at some point someone should do this. Maybe someone listening. I used to get, um, like a birthday card from my grandmother when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And one of them would just send a card because she had like a million grandchildren. The other mm-hmm. one, though, only had myself and my brother. And so she would just put a little bit of cash in that card, right? Yeah. 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 Maybe just a few bucks, you know? Um, but man, did we always appreciate that? It, it kind of trained us a little bit too, where it's like, oh, it's a card from my grandmother, let's right. open it up carefully. <laughs> right. uh, like, why don't we do that in print mail? Like, look, I was going to spend this on, on Google ad advertisements, but right. here, you, you take this instead. Happy birthday. Here's a card. With yeah. money, you, know? you know, you
1: see that sometimes from like I get, I get appeals from like let's say the Chesapeake Bay foundation and other things where it's like our leukemia and fun where there's a nickel somehow affixed to the packaging. So it's like, Oh, they're giving me a nickel for free or ones where they'll mail you They'll mail you your own address label. Here it is. Stickers. I mean, I yes, love these stickers. Those. You know, yeah. it's because I use them, and I I gave money at one point, and they keep coming even though I've moved. And uh, they're just super convenient. So, it, yeah, it can work. And again, yeah, look for look for creative ways to to do things and and people that people will find value in those address stickers. It's interesting. That it's it, it's smart because w-
0: when do you ever order those things? Exactly. You know, I wouldn't sit down and do go to Vista print,
1: Vista print or Vista or something. But I wouldn't get and then it's like, well, $50 for 10,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would lose them first. I need to get more. So, I love this. It's like this big and every, you know, they, their timing is great. They even found out that I'd moved. So, Right. You know, credit to them. And I do sometimes look at print. One of my clients was a charity, nonprofit, and I think we either use Valpack or one of those. It's the inserts that come in the you know, come with 10, you know, 50 others of them. So you got to kind of stand out, but you know, again, it's got a code on it now and it's more trackable and you can do different things with it. And I guess one thing that, that to throw into this mix is multi-channel, you know, integrated Mm. and these things are together. like what might speak to you and what might speak to me, what might speak to my wife or my father is going to be really, really different. So try different things in different ways the same message might resonate but the channel is the was what it is you and i had talked before about this uh, where my last summer we were still in maryland my son was with some of his friends in the neighborhood and they were doing a lemonade stand it was adorable we took pictures and stuff and it was just kind of fun and but they were standing in a terrible spot and so my wife she's like what made it terrible real quick um the- they were standing so it's like it's definitely a a, a community sub a community you know yeah but not much traffic flow, like in the middle yeah. of a street. So only people are going to be there is the people who happen to live in those roads, maybe six houses. And so that guys just move right down there on a corner of an intersection, not a busy mm-hmm. one, but a place where they're going to get a lot. And we, we'd sit there before they made the move is watching lots of cars go by like guys, come on, let's go up there. Let's do that. And they did it. And the lemonade was terrible. It wasn't cold enough, but their, 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 their sales, you know, shut up dramatically. So, you know, pay attention to those things, to the patterns and, and just simple little things like that.
0: And then I think one of the takeaways I had when you first mentioned the lemonade to me was mm-hmm. that it didn't cost them anything extra to move oh, yeah. position over that's right.
1: You know? It wasn't like they were paying rent to the to the yeah. people who uh, <laughs> yeah which goes there. back
0: to your myth about not needing to spend. They didn't need to spend anything that's right. extra.
1: Yeah. Just do it and 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 then you know, and then if someone comes out doesn't like you being there, then you say sorry and move away. They're little kids, but there's a saying one of my clients has um act first and beg forgiveness later. That right. that's that kind of personified.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. And but and for the record, anyone that was away kids from a Yeah, shame
1: on them. Yeah, seriously. Shame on them. I think I saw it in a newspaper
0: once and I was like, okay.
1: Right. How to stand right. out for being a jerk? Yeah, somebody's got a little bit of a little, little cranky day, a little wrong side <laughs> of bed that day. Yeah, that, that reminds me of an, I had another myth that I want to throw out to you. And yeah. see that you thought about this. Um, I heard it a lot when I was in house and with my clients. Now is uh, be careful what you divulge because competitors may hear about it or they may mm. catch whiff of it. Or don't put that on a, on a don't put that on a trade show booth because there'll be a lot of competitors there. And I feel like. The the my clients and the uh, you know counterparts or executives who are more experienced and are well traveled in their career, they they realize more how phony that is and how much that's BS. Um, if you have confidence in your product market fit, how they go together and what you're offering to the market, you really shouldn't have hesitancy about sharing that information. If the competitor is there, what are they gonna do? Remake their whole business model based on you know something you've got. Um and one of my clients said to me he goes you know what we offer is almost almost exactly the same as our competitor you know it's like french vanilla and vanilla bean ice cream they're pretty damn close you know right and one one or the other it's really based on preference and we're going to try to target the people who really love french vanilla but there's no big secret what we've got you know people say you know how are you going to differentiate well we have a really unique service offering is that really ever true i mean mm. how many times can you think of that actually being the case one to me is Carvana, you know, Carvana is a unique service offering and they proved it. Now there's Vroom. So it's like buying cars through a vending machine. Yeah. That's a pretty unique service offering. Is it, can it be replicated pretty easily? Hell yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Word, Wordle was a really unique product and all, there's a lot of copycats out there. Now my kid plays Wordle every day. Now there's Quartle, there's Wordle, there's one for guessing NBA players and NFL players none of those are probably m- making a lot of money. The first guy who did it and did a great job with it is, you know, sold it to New York Times, but those competitors didn't really do much. So, you know, again, if you're if you're confident about your product and how it fits into the market, don't be afraid to to talk about what you've got, to share expertise and experience and to kind of put it out there. Um and I know people who are very confident what they do. They have no issue with just sharing their annual recurring revenue number or whatever their 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 you know their, their sales because they know what they're doing and they're very confident about that. And they're even willing to help. If it means helping the competition means raising the whole market for what they do, you know, so be it. I think that is the,
0: the positive is that if you've got competition, especially in a new market, right? So when I, I think about podcasting and launching mm-hmm. a B2B podcast, yeah, they're competitors. But to me, it, that just signals that we've got a growing market in a growing need for that thing. Yeah. So it's like, you're on the right track, but you're right. When, when you have competitors, I've found that sometimes it's that early entrepreneur, early business person in your career. You know, I, I remember in the past, I used to want all of the business, like oh yeah, become yeah. competitive. I want all of it. I don't want any to go to the competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also met more experienced people in EO as well. Who would say look there's plenty of fish in the sea and oh, i thought yeah. they were crazy and i'm like cool plenty of fish yeah. i want all of them yeah but realistically speaking there were and it's almost like they were they were looking out of out of abundance right almost that abundance scarcity model mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're looking at at an abundant marketplace then you can you can go after it with confidence but if you, if you feel like it's scarce there's only two yeah. customers that'll ever happen then you you act you act irrationally. yeah, I think that's a great, it'll be a downward spiral. Yeah.
1: I mean, coming from that mindset of abundance, that's a great place to be. And it also makes an evolution both as a human being, but also as a business. And the first time I started my company, my agency, I had that mindset. I was so worried about every little thing. And the more that you're willing to kind of let go and trust your team and trust what you know what you're doing in your processes that's a really freeing kind of a concept and that you know this one little account or show or event is not going to break you know what we've built here and if it does you know it's showing you that you need to kind of shift and make adjustments um but i think the more that you get comfortable with doing it the better that is i wish i'd you know i had a big gap in my entrepreneurial from like selling candy to you know doing officially as a, as a grown up, mm. I wish I'd started my first business when I was in my twenties, instead of in my, whatever it was late thirties or forties. It's, it's sure. Um, I was a late bloomer in many different fronts of life, but that's one where I, God, I just wish I kind of started these things earlier and made these mistakes, you know, earlier because it's none of them are the end of the world. So it all contributes to what you do and who you are. Yeah. I mean, that's a
0: great point, right? I'm you kind of had started early early right just maybe there's something more the bigger company the or the the full on thing but actually that ties in perfectly i have a hypothetical question to throw at you okay because see i actually might have a time machine um up here in nashville new hampshire so you come use this thing it's in the backyard covered in a tarp okay you know we get some beers get some lobster and then use the time machine but it's particular kind of time machine where you go back in time and you meet yourself a few days after graduating with that journalism degree, right? So you get to meet that version of you, that Cam. What would you say to him? What kind of advice, what kind of things would you tell him?
1: Okay, well, I guess after college, I've got my brand new, fresh newspaper journalism degree from Syracuse and say, run from that field as quickly as you can because in 20 years, it's not going to exist for the most (laughs) part. That's one thing. Um, Don't be afraid to fail. So do the crazy things that sound outlandish and try them out and explore and experiment. And in some ways that kind of did happen. Like I had a, I had an internship my senior year of college and I was at the Newhouse school at Syracuse, which is a great communication school, all these Mm -hmm. high profile alums and graduates and stuff that are on TV and sports all the time. And my internship was at the uh, newspaper, the local paper at Syracuse, Syracuse post standard, I think it was. And there used to be two papers and they've combined and they print like two days a week. It's just kind of sad.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: my yeah. first intern- my internship was based, I thought, oh, you know, sports, I'll be getting to go to Syracuse football games and basketball. I'll be there like under the basket. It'll be awesome. I was covering high school sports, oh, <laughs> I was covering, no. you know, not even football. I was covering like high school soccer. I remember that one of them was uh, bowling the bowling team. Oh, geez. And and like through that, I realized I didn't want to be a daily sports journalist. I switched completely to more business writing. So, right. you know, try out different things, try things that may seem a stretch. What I love about what I do now and what our business is, is we help put people in jobs, help companies find the right talent. So it's like, what can we do to help you find the thing in life that you're passionate about? You know, I did that. It took me a long time to get here doing a company on my own, being an entrepreneur. That's what I get passionate about. I don't mind staying up late at night or, or you know taking a laptop with me to my kids' soccer practice and, and working in the car because it's right. my own thing. And I think right. you probably have that. And a lot of people in EO have that mindset, but not everybody has that. So mm-hmm. for other people, when we're looking at a client, you know, putting the right person in that role or helping helping somebody find the next job. What is it that they're passionate about, and ultimately, if we're succeeding, that you know we're getting toward that point. Love that,
0: love that. Tell me more about this company. Who is the right, you know, who should work with your company? Mm-hmm. You know, talk to you know ideal clients, talk to ideal candidates. Should they go, you know, check the site out as well? Sure. Who should who should look you up?
1: Okay. Yeah, our company is called New Gig Workforce Solutions. URL is newgigsolutions.com. Uh, the way it came together was my, my business partner and I, Brian, Gabrielson is his last name. He's in Minnesota. And uh, we worked together in-house at a big Fortune 500 staffing company years ago, maybe 20 years ago. And I was the in-house uh, PR and corp comm guy, and he was running a division um, of the of the staffing company. So we place, um, we're a contingent staffing company. So what's great about that model is we work for clients, but we don't get paid until the person actually goes into the role and starts. So if we are too slow or, or we don't get the right fit, they're not going to get hired or we never get paid. So it really makes you be really efficient and right on the mark. So the two things that are most important are speed and efficiency, getting those people in front of the, the client quickly and being the, you know right on the mark so they can't you know, turn them down or, or, or slow things down. And the right kind of clients for us on the staffing side of the business are uh, we're really big in IT. Uh, you know, SaaS businesses, B2B. I'd say for the most part, almost all of our client base on the marketing and strategic communications side as well as the staffing side are B2B. We have very few B2C customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the staffing, you know, working with growing uh, SaaS businesses, B2B, enterprise software companies, um, the sweet spot might be anywhere from say 50 to, to 2,000 employees. But they're, the, the growth... You know, our, our service facilitates their ongoing growth um, and allows them to keep doing what they're doing. We place both permanent hires, you know, people who go on and, and working at the company, to contractors, which could be hourly or for a, you know a long long term commitment of six to nine months. And on the marketing side, it's you know similarly uh, growing companies that they 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 want to work with a firm where it's not just getting you know one designer or a writer or a developer, but uh, almost like an agency model, where you could have, you know, me performing the function of a virtual CMO, and the people I work with in my network to take on a uh, almost like an outsourced marketing department.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, just really kind of backing them up and having the resources to really execute on those yeah. campaigns. Yeah. And
1: also, you know, small growing businesses. Their core function is X, whatever it is—building widgets, you know, airplane services, whatever it might be. Uh, if it's not your core function, marketing, communications, these things we've been talking about the last hour—identifying audiences, you know, coming up with great messaging—you outsource that to us. Give us the keys to your marketing communications car. You go run and lead your business, and we'll handle that. You know, we got it. Right, right. Pass it on to us. Well, mm-hmm. where
0: can people? they fit in these categories, where do you want them to reach out? Social uh, our, platforms, websites?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. We we are really only on LinkedIn. I, I love LinkedIn as a channel. I love cool. it for my own, my own um, say, content, which has been quite quiet in the last few months, unfortunately, because it's been so busy. But I, I am a big fan of LinkedIn. And I also use a lot for clients, for client outreach. We use it for you know, finding and sourcing candidates. We use it for you know, being in touch with them. We use some different tools to kind of expand that and elevate it. Um, so active there. Our website is newgigsolutions.com. Um, it's, it's, going, it's a teenager, our website. It needs to be uh, grow up to be an adult. So we need to put some work into it. But it's that same old saying, the, uh, the, the cobbler, the, the shoemaker's children always have the worst shoes on the street, something totally. like that. I always yeah. get it wrong. But yeah, that's us. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's, you know, cause we've been so dang busy and you know, my, my business partner, he's been doing this much longer, the staffing part. He's like, I've never seen a market like this in 25 years of staffing, nothing else ever. And it doesn't matter where it is. Like we're doing companies are getting more flexible now with, you know, embracing remote work or, or going near shore to work with people, whatever it might be. Yeah, And it's just, it's still not enough. You know, you, you we just can't get enough people. I don't know what it's like in New Hampshire, but, a lot of even the the retail and hospitality places from the corner Starbucks to fast food, they're not they're not open. They can't open six days a week. They may be the people open at, at lunchtime only. Yeah. And you yeah. see signs out in front of different restaurants and storefronts for signing bonus and, and double minimum wage just to get human bodies in there. It's definitely weird. It's definitely, you know, definitely made
0: a change. And mm-hmm. we'll see what comes of all of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. There's some, there's just, there's some things you just can't automate yet. And uh, here on, at Ohio state, we walk up to the campus. Sometimes and there's those little robots going around and delivering pizzas. Do and they things? Yeah. Now some of them were shut down because it turned out there was some Russian connection. And when the war first started, I think they pulled the plug on those. Maybe they were developed there or something, but, they're there all the time. I, I haven't been there recently, but they, you know, they, they're very, they're a curiosity, but once you get used to it, you know, they're just kind of there. So they drive around to deliver pizzas. I think that's the main, they could, it could be a candy bar. It could be a six pack who knows, but yeah, they're not big. They're a little bit bigger than like a, a, a cooler or an ice box. <laughs> you know? Driving around, dropping off. Stuff. <laughs> but eventually, you know, and I think my kids are older. Those will be in the air. Those will be, those will be doing using 3D space. They'll be flying around little drones, things that will make sense. I still
0: see the classic, you know, it shows the guy with a shotgun shooting down dinner from the sky (laughs) for his family. (laughs) Honey, I got dinner. You know, he shot a drone out of the sky with a a delivery from uh, Uber Eats or something.
1: Right. And I think these things that we're starting to see get traction and take hold, they're in their infancy. It's like TV was in the 50s and they were like, or like, Cell phones were when they first came out. They they were really poor quality. Well, I think a lot of the technology that's coming out now that's going to keep adapting and evolving and improving. You know, from electric vehicles to you know different kinds of media, it'll keep yeah. getting better. And um, it is interesting to see them in their infancy and to think, how's this going to, you know, if I could go my time machine ten years in the future, what's going to be like then? How can I somehow leverage that? How can I get into that game?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Really? That's the
0: question. Mm -hmm. Well, dude, this has been awesome, man. Same here. It's it's been great having you on here. Thank you so much for coming on here, schooling us on these myths. I mean, multiple myths over here. (laughs) Um, I've had a blast chatting about current future events, all the things. I I appreciate you being on here.
1: Me too. I really am grateful for the opportunity. Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun and uh, have a fantastic weekend. Yeah, you bet,
0: man. So for those listening, uh, if you've learned something like I have, I know you have because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back, then share this episode with somebody else. That's thought leadership. That's getting information into the right people's hands. And if you're looking for a position, now you know someone to talk to. If you're looking for a team, now you know someone to talk to. And with that, Cam, thanks again, man. We will catch you later.
1: Thank you, Casey. All right, everybody. It's been
0: another exciting episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show.